Let me introduce somebody who's been in the band longer than anybody. Going back 25 years. Twenty what? Twenty-six years? You go back twenty-six years? Anyway, um, this interesting book out by um, Tom Brokaw. We're off ABC now, so we can talk, use the name Tom Brokaw, I guess. Wrote a book called The Greatest Generation, and this guy's dad is in the book. It's called The Greatest Generation Speaks, and his old man fought in Bastogne during the Battle of the Bulge with the 101st Airborne. They're a bunch of tough bastards, let me tell you. We wouldn't be able to be doing this job if they didn't do that. And he's named after his uncle who was unfortunately killed in that war. On the drums, that's Liberty DeVito. Hi, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And I'm Liberty DeVito. This is Billy Joel, A to C. From all of our soul, way down to Zanzibar. Still rock and roll Though we don't play no guitar You rank them high, rank them low You may be right Big man on Mulberry Street Here on Billy Joel A to Z Hello everybody and welcome to Billy Joel A to Z Boy, do we have a special show for you today We are unbelievably thrilled to have today's guest with us because we've been talking about him for, oh, I don't know, 170 episodes. He's been working in the music business, well, let's just say a long time, like when there actually was a music business. As a session musician, he has worked with everyone from Paul McCartney to Karen Carpenter, because that really is everybody with everything encompassed in between. But we, of course, know him from his years as the legendary drummer from Billy Joel's band. That's right. He was there. With the biggies, turnstiles, the stranger, 52nd Street, you know all this. It's still fascinating to think about. In fact, he was so there. He changed the outcome of many of the songs we know and love so they didn't end up being the horrid reggae, disco, or Neil Sedaka songs they started out to be. <laughs> and we thank him forever for that. <laughs> He's still working, of course, not only as a musician, but a father, and around 2014 or so, started a group called the Lords of 52nd Street with our other, fav our other favorite fellas, Richie Kanata, Russell Javers. You can catch the Lords of 52nd Street, which apparently so far, Liberty, my sister, highly recommends. She's the only oh. one that's seen it out of us so far. She called me and said, have you ever heard of this band? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> uh, on March 9th through the 12th, they will be doing a little Florida tour action uh, in Ocala, Jacksonville, Fort Lauderdale, and Clearwater. His memoir is entitled Liberty, Life, Billy, The Pursuit of Happiness. It's available on Amazon and all those other great places online. Please welcome the man voted most handsome in his high school class, the incredibly legendary Liberty DeVito. My uh, my high school class, actually uh, half of them were blind. And uh, they did my brow that touched my face. <laughs> Still counts. Yeah. That's all yeah, right. Well, I was voted well, uh, talks most says least. So that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I was I was also voted most likely to recede. So uh, <laughs> uh, you don't have to talk to me about that. That's why I hate Alon. <laughs> yeah, well, I hate him too. I don't even know him. <laughs> hey. Well, we uh, just before we started, we were just I mean, we were just to kick it off. We were just talking about 
uh, Alon growing up on Grand Street where, you know, where it's a quote on uh, Big Man on Mulberry Street. And you were talking about the recording of it. And then I'm like, let me press record. Well, the recording of it, uh, we rehearsed it uh, in the Puck building, which is right by where you are. Right. Yeah, that's over on Houston and Lafayette. Yes. Really close. Yeah. We were in the Puck building and I can remember Billy just starting to play it. And I started to play along. And because it was kind of a jazzy swing thing, I was just playing like on the ride cymbal. And he looked at me and goes, you can't play jazz. Play it like a rock guy would try to play jazz. I said, okay. And then it came out the way it did. That's amazing. You did that. You guys, I mean, I know they call you like a songwriter's drummer because you have uh, multiple ideas. Did you guys, I mean, I know you guys used to, feud in the sense of the way artists feud i know you would throw drumsticks at them sometimes if you were displeased or whatever which of course is epic but did you go back and forth with what's good and bad all like all the time every album always going back and forth what should we do you have an idea he has an idea oh yeah that's what the great part about the recording with billy was billy would come in and we would start to record an album the first day he came in, he might have two songs written, you know, and uh, but he had a lot of bits and pieces, he called them. You know, he never threw away little pieces that he liked that he was messing with. So he would take one of these bits and pieces and run it past the band. We would start playing along with him. And if it felt good, then he would go home and finish the song. And then when he came in, we would make up different parts. You know, I would make up my drum part. Uh, Russell or David Brown would make up his guitar part. Richie always made up his sax parts. And uh, or Billy would sometimes say, I want it to be like this. Like the Downing Street Alexa. He, he, he said, uh, I want I want to I want to feel like you're on my boat, the Alexa Ray. So I want big waves. I want the North Atlantic. I want the waters cold and dark and. So, okay, you want a fishing boat? Let's try to make a fishing boat. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the way we did it, back and forth. I mean, I think Sete Toi on the Glass Houses album, uh, the drum part is something like that, some some weird thing. Something weird. That actually Russell Jabbers was cueing me through the glass. He was sitting in the control room when we were uh, doing that record. And he was, was like thinking, you know, and, and he had an idea. So we, we, the ideas went around. Tell her about it was the worst one for that because every, I started to play something. And then David Brown would say, oh, why don't you try this? And then Russell would say, why don't you try this? And Doug said, well, oh, we'll try this. You know, we tried all this stuff. About two hours later, I was right back doing what I started in the beginning. And I was, you know. <laughs> but I guess it is a process. So I guess that's the yeah. thing. Meanwhile, we, you know, we always talk about the fact that that was a major number one hit. And yet Billy doesn't like to play it anymore. No, he doesn't. He never really liked it, I don't think. you know. <laughs> but isn't it funny? He had three number one hits and that's one of them. And he's like, yeah, I'm not playing that song anymore. I'm done. Yeah. Well, he's a strange bird. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we talk about that often. An <laughs> eagle, like, an co- eagle collab- mind you, but uh, he's an eagle, but, uh, you know, stra- a strange word. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. Elon, what were you going to say? Liberty, you're talking about uh, how collaborative it was in the studio. Can you think yeah. of any songs where, like, you and the rest of the band really took the song across the finish line, where Billy just had, like, little bits, but it was really you guys who crafted the final product? 
There's so many of them. Uh, the what most, the best known one is, of course, only the good die young. When he came in, he wrote it as a reggae tune on guitar, and when he was trying to play it on the piano, it sounded like crap. It really just just <laughs> did not sound good. And that's when when I said, like, no, no, this ain't happening, man. The closest you've ever been to Jamaica is is the Jamaica train station where the Long Island Railroad stops and, and you switch. So yeah, that I think that point was when I threw a stick at him and said, I'm not playing this, <laughs> this crap. And then, you know, the, the shuffle, that whole beginning and that kind of shuffle, uh, I remembered loving a song called Up From The Skies on the Jimi Han- Hendrix uh, Axis Boulder's Love album. And Mitch Mitchell starts uh, this song called Up From The Skies, just like I start Only Good Day Young, that same boom ticket you know, and I thought, this would be perfect. We could swing this thing, you know. And Paul Simon also was in the studio that day. He came in to see what was going on. And he said, because the lyrics were so heavy, you know, about a Catholic girl giving a virginity up to Billy, you know. He said, if you do it lighthearted, it'll just, the words will go over people's heads. And it kind of did. And then when the uh, Catholic diocese banned the record, that's when everybody said, uh, what are they talking about? I want to hear this record. And then right, it took of off like crazy. Yeah. You know? uh, you talk- so uh, Paul Simon was there because uh, Phil Ramon was producing one of his solo albums, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he was friends with Phil and Billy, you know, everybody knew him. And that's and- the thing. So, and Phil Ramon, because we had talked about this in one episode, produced the last Karen Carpenter album, right? That you drummed on. Yes. Yes. That album. We actually recorded that album right at the same time as we were making Glass Houses. Right. Uh, so, but it was shelved for ten years because Karen's brother did not want it released. That he thought they would lose their, uh, you know, a pie and apple pie audience, and you know. I was always upset by that because her voice was special, right? You know, it, it, there was three times that it happened to me that a voice that I was so familiar with growing up, listening to the records and stuff like that. One was was uh, well, of course Paul. And then uh, Karen and Stevie Nicks was another one. Right. When you have your headphones on and you start playing, and then all of a sudden the, this voice is in your headphones, and you look up and the person is right there, and it just like freaks you out. McCartney wow. was like, "Oh my God, I can't believe that guy's standing right there," you know. <laughs> right, because you also worked with Paul McCartney. I mean, that's insane, right? And you and you started drumming because you worshipped Ringo. That's right. That's right. I, I, I love Ringo's drumming. I actually, you know, when I first got a set of drums, my, my parents got them for me. I didn't ask. I always loved music. You know, when I was eight years old, I remember for my birthday, I got a transistor radio. I used to put it under my pillow and sleep at night with the radio on, listening to songs and, and everything like that. But I never said I wanted to play the drums. But my father bought me a set of drums Later on in life, I asked him, why did you buy me drums? And he said, because they didn't make Prozac when you were a kid. So <laughs> I guess it was to calm me down a little bit. But anyway, when I saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, that was the first time I, I thought, okay, this is what I want to do. I, I want to travel the world with my friends, meet girls and make great music, you know, and um, in that order. Yes. But <laughs> watching the Beatles, I loved Ringo, loved the rest of them, but you wanted to be Paul because, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, when you saw them, when you looked at them, you immediately went to Paul, you know. It's pretty exciting. I mean, ever meeting any kind of beetle is always uh, unbelievable. Like I think they're all our heroes and if you got to and then you got to work with them as well, not just shake his hand, right? I mean, you were working yeah. with them. Yeah. We we did two songs together in the studio, but the best part was we took a break, had pizza, we talked about kids and stuff like that, children. And then we went back in and we started to play like uh Jerry Lee Lewis, Little Richard. He was singing all those songs, you know. It was insane. Did the same thing kind of happen with you in a way with uh I know you were a in fact, I think this is how you kind of met Billy and was like I I'd like to join this band because because of Stevie Winwood, right? Isn't that and then well, you were well, yeah. a huge Stevie Winwood fan, right? Traffic, yeah, when he was in traffic. And one of my favorite songs that Traffic did was on on the first uh Mr. Fantasy album. It was Colored Rain. And just when I was 17, Billy was maybe 18. And uh he was in the hassles. I was in a group called the New York Workshop. We worked together in a club called the My House on in Plainview, Long Island. And <clears throat> one night I we worked in the, the same night together. And I stood and watched them play. And all of a sudden, I hear, yesterday, I was, and Billy singing, call it rain. I thought, okay, this guy's cool. You know, he's got a great taste in music, and he, and he can hit the notes. It was great. And yeah, then, he could but, sound just like him, right? He does a perfect Steve Winwood. Yeah, yeah. It was funny when we did uh, the Bridge album, and Steve right. Winwood came in and played on uh, Getting, Getting Closer. Closer. Yeah. We messed around with a lot of traffic songs. We got went to the point, and I I was so into traffic that when we had actually told Billy, he goes, I, for a couple of times I had to look up because I thought Capaldi was playing the drums. We were doing "Give Me Some Lovin'," and Billy was singing it up there, you know, "Give Me Some Lovin'." And Steve stopped him and goes, "No, no, it's one step higher." <laughs> <laughs> and Billy was like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> you know? Oh, that's so cool! So you got to play with two of your heroes at least. I mean, let alone I'm sure there's oh, a, a lot. lot more too, uh, but. Yeah. Ronnie Spector, was endless, a, right. Ronnie Spector was a big one for me. I mean, you know, if, if you're going to leave Billy, someone like Billy Joel, and then you go play with Ronnie Spector, you're still up there in the same league. You know, yeah. she was fantastic. Right. Because you were on the, the, the turnstiles. Uh, Say goodbye to Hollywood is uh, the Ronnie Spector like song, right? Yes. Yeah. That like Billy did. And she actually did a version of it with um, uh, the East Street Band. Right. Yes. Yeah. We spoke about that. It was unbelievable. But that's uh, also I was thinking when you guys met, that story sounded like and I know, you know, about Spinal Tap, because I know that you said if you weren't drumming, you'd want to work in a haberdashery, yeah, uh, which is directly out of <laughs> the hours. But, uh, <laughs> I feel like that's or I know when David St. Hubbins and Nigel met, they're like, well, I was in a band called the Lovely Lads and I was in some, and we just looked at each other. And we're like, we should. So that's what it sounds like what happened to you and Billy in Plainview yeah. that night. You know, we just looked at each other and we're like, well, we should join up. That's that's the way it was. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we didn't talk then. We just like, hi, how you doing? And we were in awe of each other. So when I actually went, uh, Doug Stegmeyer, you know, bass, we had a band topper and, and Doug got the gig with Billy first. And then when Billy returned to New York, he brought Doug with him, brought him back. And Billy said, I want a New York style drummer. That meant a hard hitter, aggressive kind of player. And Doug said, well, you know the guy, you know, and he meant me because I knew him through that club. That's but I still had to audition. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So, so I heard a story about Elizabeth, who we 
don't like to usually talk about on the show, but we must, that she set up an audition for you. Was that for the band Topper? No, uh, no. She set up a, 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 you know, you play in front of a record company. But for that band or for? For Topper. For Topper, yes, yeah. Yes, after we were already doing it with Billy. Well, that was nice of her, no? Or... It was very nice of her, but it, the, 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 um, it was killed. You know, CBS was, Columbia Records was interested in Topper. But it was killed because I think maybe somebody said to Billy, you know, you'll lose your band if they get signed. Yeah, it would be like Boz Gags and uh, Toto. I was going to say like uh, Linda Ronstadt with uh, Henley and... Uh, it, right. Uh, what's the... Uh, Glenn Fry. Fry. Yeah. French Fry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Liberty, you, you guys joined the band and Turnstiles was the first album that you did with Billy Joel, which now when we look back on it, we everyone thinks every fan thinks that is a masterpiece but at the time it was kind of a commercial failure when you guys finished recording it did you think this is a hit this is going to be the one no we never not even the stranger or the secretary never thought this is going to be the one no really no did you know how special those songs were at the time well i'll tell you what the first song that i really thought that, that this this guy is a great songwriter and he's brilliant he sat down at the panel we were recording some of the songs i think we did sing about hollywood already and something else and he played me and doug just the first verse because that's all he had of summer highland falls Mm. and me and doug looked at each other and we looked at billy and went you've got to finish that that's great you know so i mean the stuff was really good and and it got us to become a band the whole topper band all of us so then became Billy Joel's band with the inclusion of Richie Canato on saxophone, you know, but that was, that was, uh, we were just new. We didn't, you know, we were nothing. I mean, Richie came in the studio and he tells the story of like, he came in because we went to see him play. We said, you'd be great in this band that we're doing with Billy Joel. And he came down to the studio and we were just finished recording angry young man. And he was like, what the hell am I going to do in this band? <laughs> you know, where's my, and then Billy, right. <laughs> yeah. And then Billy played him New York state of mind. And, uh, Oh, well, that's a diff- Well, that's a game changer, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yes, but the, the album, we were just having fun. We were just guys having fun. And we, I couldn't believe that the entire top of band, I knew Russell when he was 15 years old, we tried to start a band together. And Doug and Russell came to see me play at the, my house when Billy was playing there too. You know, wow. that that's where they used to come to see me play. So all of a sudden now we're a band with, with this guy. So actually Topper got a new lead singer and piano player in the band, in our band Topper. We didn't go, Topper didn't go to Billy Joel. Billy Joel came to Topper. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Did you ever say to oh, Billy, hey, why don't we just call this thing Topper? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, we on, actually should have kept the name. You know, it should have been Billy Joel and Topper or something like that. But right, it didn't happen like that. And then, even though with the strange, like you, like Alan was saying, there wasn't like one song that was just like, "Boy, this is really special." Too, how can because Turnstiles didn't do well? How can this not be working when you're making The Stranger? You must have, at, at, there must be some point at some song where you're like, come, come on, they're, they're gonna have to like this. Well, you gotta remember that just the way you are almost didn't make it on the album because we thought it was a, a, a wedding song, a lot, you know, which really it is, but yeah, <laughs> but 
we weren't going to put it on the album until Phoebe Snow and Linda Ronstadt came in the studio and said, you guys will get more girls if you put this on the album. <laughs> you know, and we went, boom, right on the album. Went, That's a know. smart thing to say. Were, were they right? <laughs> they were right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which leads absolutely. us to, in, in the sense of The Stranger obviously changed Billy Joel's life. How did it change yours? Well, all of a sudden, we, we were the guys. Because then we started to do sessions for Phil Ramone with like uh, um, a lot of like guys that were jazz guys that were trying to get it into more of a pop thing. It, it was crazy. It was really, really crazy because I, they, they would come in and, and they would, you know, you would think you would have to play some kind of jazz thing. And they would say, no, no, just play like you did on, on Billy's records. Didn't they you call know? you said, like the hoodlums or something? Of Oh, that, that was uh, uh, the New York Times called us uh billy jo- phil ramone for the karen carpet album phil ramone brought in Bill- a couple of billy billy's ruffians oh <laughs> yeah well, that <laughs> well, must have made richard carpenter angry i guess well it probably did but she had a blast with us she That's loved it nice loved hear. it you know if they had released that album that might have changed everything around you know i had always remember hearing that if they were offered the song masquerade i believe the carpenters in general yeah. And if they had sung that song, it might have changed them from the, you know, what, what Richard was saying, the band was, uh, right. and put them in a more adult thing, but they chose to do sing, sing a song. Yeah. And then That's it just Sesame kept Street them in that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then they did the, uh, what was a commercial, right? Wasn't, uh, we've only just begun to live. Right. It was a commercial on TV that they asked uh, Paul, Paul Williams. Williams? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that yeah, makes sense because it's finish that it. guy only writes sad songs, so that makes yeah, so much yeah. sense. Very yeah. depressing <laughs> songs. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess I'm just gonna uh, put it out there and ask the most important question that maybe no one has asked you ever, and that is, of course, the uh, back cover of the Strangers album, the Stranger album, uh, and when you were at the Supreme Macaroni Pasta Company and Guido's, what did you order for dinner that night? Of course, spaghetti. Always, always spaghetti. I'm a spaghetti guy. I love spaghetti, macaroni. Rigatoni's is my favorite uh, pasta. <laughs> Do you? But, did you order the meal before you took the picture? Was the picture planned there, or did you actually go there for dinner that particular night? No, it was planned that we go there because I guess scenes from the Italian restaurant. Everybody thought that this was going to be the day in the life for Billy Joel, you right. know. And so let's the italian thing behind it <laughs> i don't know why <laughs> yeah it's crazy stuff but and i and i heard everybody wore what they were just wearing during that day when they were doing the session so the question yes. would be you know would you have yep. worn something different not you in particular do you think phil ramone might not have worn a yankee shirt if he knew he was going to do it that day well he was always a huge yankee fan phil like huge yankee fan so i don't know if he would have changed that shirt there's a couple of times when you, you look at stuff that you did and you think like, why did I wear that? Oh my well, God. Why did I... In glass houses, you're wearing the watch on your foot. Yeah. Uh, because the guy told us we were the most boring band he's ever photographed. <laughs> do something different. Uh, yeah. Do something different. I, I said, okay. I took my <laughs> What are the kids doing these days? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody thinks so, it's like, because you keep time with your foot. That's why it's on there. No. That's for, uh, before we went on. Alan was just telling me that you, I didn't know you were in Big People, yes, uh, with Ben Orr because I 
made a movie about the cars. It's not a very good one. Um, and so we talked about big people in the movie. You know, we don't. And uh, I didn't realize you were in it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we because I, I brought it up because you just said the most boring band because they were told that the cars over and over again. That well, their stage you know, performances they, were dull. They were a great band live. You know, I saw them live at the Nassau Coliseum. Yet they just stood there. Yeah, they stood there. That's and I think when Kiss, when when uh, Gene Simmons talks about how he went to see a band and they did absolutely nothing, I, I sometimes think that he's talking about the cars. <laughs> That's impossible. The, the timeline doesn't add up. No, it doesn't. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. <laughs> but that would make me so happy if that was the case. Because I saw they were. I love them too in concert because their music was loud and their tunes are amazing. But yeah, <laughs> they don't do anything. It was really funny. And then no. do you think? When you guys first started and you were first touring, was Billy do it? Was he just sitting there and then he no. kind of got wild later because of that? When you you started playing arenas after after the Stranger, I guess did you did you change your drumming style for arena dates? Well, your arms go up higher. You know, you can do that because the ceiling is way up there now. You won't hit the, <laughs> your sticks on the ceiling. But uh, yeah, I my thought was always that. Somebody is going to come to the show, right? They're going to they're going to pay for a ticket. They're probably going to bring his date, his wife, his girlfriend, or whatever. That's two tickets he's buying. Uh, he's probably going to take it to dinner before they go to the show. Uh, then uh, they're going to come into the parking lot and they're going to charge get charged for parking. Uh, and then you know they already had a bottle of wine at dinner, so they're coming in. She walks past the merch counter and she buys a T-shirt and a hat. And then she gets down to the seat. She says she's still hungry. She wants a pretzel <laughs> or a peanuts. The guy's into us like about $200, $250 already. Before we hit a note, he had better seen something on that stage that's going to blow him away. Or he could have stayed home and just bought the bottle of wine. And, uh, right. You know. I love that you know that. That's yeah. so important to know because a lot of people don't seem to get that. So you took her to dinner twice. What'd that cost you? About 30. With tip? Okay, maybe 35. Movies. Any movies? Three movies. $20. Roughly. Parking. I park on the street. Gas. Maybe $6. All right, Stan. You're in for roughly $60 odd dollars. And, uh, what happened? She slept with Jacobson. That's all I'm saying. When you want to blow them away, what, what was your favorite opening song to do? What was the thing that would get the crowd going the most that you liked? Oh, well, Angry Young Man was always a good one. I love the, uh, the bridge tour, uh, not the bridge tour, the Nylon Curtain tour, because Allentown was a great opener. Because the lighting designer, Steve Cohen, built the stage where uh, when you walked in, the, the the lights were at the same level as the drum set. And there was like girders that were touching together, like you were building something on the stage. And then once the whistle went off and I went, blah, blah, boom, boom. Blah, boom and we started playing, yeah. the, the girders went up and the lights got to a, the, its normal level. So it looked like this whole factory thing started to move. Oh. You know, so that was really cool. But there was a lot of opening songs. Uh, Miami, 
is one well that well that you're drumming on i that i had that just in my you're drumming on that songs in the attic version is actually my favorite piece of yours uh, that yeah. really m- moves and it makes me i don't know happy and just like wow this is so energetic and awesome i had to um i had to listen to it because so many people have told me that that that's the best miami it's so and good so so not too long ago, I, I did this other podcast. Uh, where what? You, yeah, yeah. Believe <laughs> hey, it or not. we signed an exclusivity <laughs> agreement with you. How dare you? Hey, they were ugly, man. I'll never do them again. Uh, that's no. like <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they said something about Songs in the Attic, Miami 2017. And I had to go listen to it. Like, what are they talking about? But there's so much stuff out there that there is an angry young man. When we used to open with angry young man uh, from the Capitol Theater in New Jersey and we play it so fast with s- such intensity that when it ends bam, 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 there's a pause of silence and then all of a sudden you ah! <laughs> <Wow>. burst, like <laughs> it's like uh, the end of Napoleon Dynamite after he does that dance and there's a <laughs> right <exactly>. break. <laughs> wow just like, we just were just like that. we were just talking about we just finished because you know we go in order of the songs we just finished traveling prayer and i don't know if you were ever involved with that live because i don't know whether he did it live when you were there but that's a song we couldn't believe how fast it was played uh you know uh the stuff we see on youtube we we just that that is a really fast like it seemed like he went extra fast that that's the fastest song i think we've ever seen alon right yeah but the live version even faster than the studio version right right the live version we did it extra fast like really fast yeah it seemed like the saxophonist at the time i don't think it was the it, it was before like, richie one, one of the live ones we saw was keep up. Richie. yeah <laughs> yeah that guy well, had we continue, there's a, a version of it um on some a german tv show yeah we saw that yeah, one that's the one we saw that that was richie that was me and you know richie yeah so we, we saw a few different live versions but the german one is a great one with richie German one and also uh, Billy Joel Tonight. I think it's there too. It's Out of really, Long Island, right? Really fast. Yeah, like, really fast. What was the reason for that? Why make it so fast? I mean, we enjoyed it thoroughly, but you know, what was the reason for making it? Was it a joke between you guys? Or? No, no. It's it, it's it, it shows you the miracle of putting women in the front row to make any band play really fast. <laughs> see you're answering all the questions correctly you're not thinking about what you're doing you're thinking about (laughs) them (laughs) yeah the sooner you finish this concert the sooner you can talk to them but just also talking about (laughs) drumming again that's i just wanted to say um one of my favorite openings we talk about all because we don't know why he doesn't open with this all the time would be easy money it's great it's your drumming on that is that opening is so much fun do you know how many people on YouTube have tried to emulate it? It's oh, really? <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I I forgot that we had done that song or that it was going to be in the movie. And I went to see the movie and I sat there and and, and all of a sudden you just hear that's the best ending ever. He goes, oh, for years I wouldn't kiss her on the mouth. I wound up kissing her ass. And then <laughs> Liberty. I mean, that's, that's exciting. When you see it in the movie, it's just there. That must have been unbelievable. Oh, it was so loud. <laughs> <laughs> like, Liberty.
Hardy is the best, and he's got lots more to say, so we'll continue it next week on Billy Joel A to Z. You don't have to talk all night. I'm a man who can't say no. You don't have to twist my arm. Just point me where you want to go. Take me to the action. Take me to the track. Take me to a party.